Hey, Darren, have you been watching us on uh, the Electric Now app? I have. I haven't recently because I, I, I watch you pretty much every week when we're doing these things. But yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's you know what I love about it's the Electric be, Now app? It's better it's on so video. It's so easy to use. It's, it's, it's better really on video. Easy. Download got, the app and you watch us. That's all there is to it. It's so and, simple. And a lot of other cool stuff, too. You go to the app store. It says Electric Now. You download it. And then it, in press, the United States, press the button and there it is. There it is. And you can choose, you can bookmark it. There's plenty of other movies and TV show to enjoy and episodes of all your favorite electric surge podcasts. So why wait, download the electric now app and start enjoying us anytime. If you're a fan of inglorious Trexperts, you're going to love Trexperts briefing room, a Trexperts new series. Briefing room. What is that? I was about to explain. Then you interrupted oh, me. I'm it sorry. Is, it's curated audio commentaries of classic Star Trek episodes from the original series all the way through Enterprise. You're going to love it as we explore the behind the scenes making of all these wonderful Star Trek episodes with cast and crew that you would never expect to hear doing audio commentaries on Star Trek. Sounds like fun. It will be. And you <laughs> can find it on the Inglorious Trexperts podcast feed and on the new Trexperts briefing podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's go see what's out there. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman from Inglorious Trexperts in the 430 movie. And if you're a James Bond fan, you want to pick up my new book, Nobody Does It Better, the complete uncensored oral history of James Bond and Spy Mania. It's a hefty tome and it's available now wherever you purchase books, audiobooks, and digital. Check it out. And I will renew your license to kill personally. Hello and welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me as always is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Beautiful. Uh, well, this episode, I wouldn't say it's a long time coming, but I think it was definitely something right when we started the podcast was sort of on our initial shortlist convo of what would for sure be a future episode. And the timing seems perfect at the moment. And that is to do George Miller's Justice League Mortal. Uh, and I should also say, none of us have seen the Snyder Cut yet. We are recording this before that comes out. Um, so that will not be a topic at hand. But since we are doing a super team assembly movie, we thought it was only fitting that we do the same with our guests. So we have brought back one guest from each of our three uh, biggest episodes, those being Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, and the Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, from Wonder <laughs> Woman, we have brought back Clark Wolf. Hello, Clark. Hey, y'all. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, from Spider-Man, we have brought back Mr. Ed Greer. I promise, I promise uh, to not make this as epic as that last one. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. Don't promise that just yet. Don't make promises you can't keep, Ed. Uh, and from the Super, Mario's br Super Mario Brothers episode, we have brought back my writing partner, Mr. Pat Casey. Great to finally meet you, Josh. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. I didn't think that's what you actually looked like. Uh, you sound much heavier. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you guys uh, just introduce yourselves a little bit for audience members who maybe didn't listen to those previous episodes and are not familiar. Clark, you want to kick things off? I would love to. Uh, first of all, what are you doing? Go listen to all those episodes, you crazy yeah. person. <laughs> um, my name is Clark Wolf. I'm an actress and an entertainment host. Um, I have the pleasure of being a part of the Wonder Woman series here on Best Movies Never Made. Um, probably thanks to not only my delightful friendship with Josh Miller, but uh, to the fact that I was a, a co-host on DC Daily for the, the run of that show, which was almost two years. And um, so uh, superheroes specifically, the DC superheroes, um, especially when it comes to, to film, are, are very, very deeply ingrained into all of my pop culture um, history and uh, an origin story. So I'm really excited to talk about this. This was interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, so thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Mr. Greer? Uh, well, uh, I'm trying to do all types of internet crap because we're trapped at home. <laughs> so I've become a, a internet uh uh, internet hydra i do a youtube show called reboot it where we reboot movies and franchises uh in about an hour or so uh our justice league episode was two hours and 10 minutes long by the way <laughs> appropriate uh, appropriate yeah and I, I do i'm doing a podcast called the greatest pod and uh it's about my pod of friends during this and like what we what we qualify as the greatest like greatest missed opportunity greatest awesome thing greatest this greatest that so it's kind of an adjunct of our old uh podcast uh, nerd goat so yeah, I'm doing a lot of online and I'm doing a lot of uh, writing of specs. So this is this was this was a great time for me to be doing this. Uh, and someday, hopefully, we'll be able to meet in public again, and uh, you can get some. Are you doing any stand up during this, or is that uh, on a hold? I have found the limits of my love for stand up, <laughs> <laughs> and that is uh, not dying from COVID. Yeah, yeah, is that yeah. The, the limit. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to be saying I'm literally dying up here. So no, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want to mess around. Uh, Pat. Um, I yeah, I'm I'm Pat Casey. I'm Josh's uh, writing part. Of the greatest superhero movie ever made, Sonic the Hedgehog. Take that, everyone. But I I, I grew up reading. Uh, <laughs> comics but in dc especially i was a big dc head and my favorites were you know batman and robin and the flash and like the the funny keith giffen era justice league was amongst my favorites so i've got strong opinions about justice league stuff <laughs> <laughs> which you will no doubt share with us here today um all right. Well, I guess let's just get into things here. I know Steve has a mountain of material uh, to get through before we even reach this script. So do you want to kick things off, Steve? Yeah. Um, yeah. There is quite a bit to go through here. So I'll try to go through it as quick as possible. And I'm going to start off around uh, 1997. when. Um, so first off, I don't know if you guys... I mean, you all probably seen this, seen that you're fans, but there was a Justice League of America 1997 pilot that was floating around. It is. Yeah, what mean, if Justice guys... League, but friends, basically? Yeah. It was like a sitcom. Have you guys all seen that? You must have. No. No, it is. No. It is not good. But not like, can you watch the whole thing? I've only been able to find a few little clips. Oh, I'm, I should I should have shared it with you. It's like on Daily Motion or something. Yeah. The whole uh. thing. Um, was I it mean, in a 
was it an official DC, like actually? Legit yeah, like it DC doesn't movie? have uh, Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman. It has Green Lantern, Adam, Flash, Ice and Fire, who are characters I'm not even that familiar with, and Martian Manhunter. Um, and the weirdest thing about it is that it feels like it's made for kids. Like the Justice League for real live together in like a dumpy house and are just like bickering roommates. Like there's a whole scene where their TV's not working. So that Adam shrinks himself down small so he can climb inside the TV and try to fix it. So I, I guess depending on what frame of context you're looking at it, it's maybe not that bad. Like if this had been on Saturday mornings when I was a kid, I might've watched it like John Kassir, who people if they know him, might best know him as the voice of the Crypt Keeper on Tales from the Crypt, but he plays the Adam. And I just feel like that kind of casting lets you know just where their head was at with this. It's like, we want this to be like silly and fun. I mean, trying to be like that funny, the funny Keith Giffen era, which was where Fire and Ice were part of the league. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's trying to be like this weird pastiche of, uh, of Justice League Europe and Justice League at the time that Kevin McGuire and, and Keith Giffen were working on it. Yeah. I'd say that's true. And yeah, the effects are just, I mean, we don't even need to harp on it. It was, it was a low budget thing. They clearly couldn't get some of the top tier characters. It didn't get picked up as a show. So the network was that forward, you know, Steve, do you have that written down? It was CBS to be like a primetime sitcom, right? That just like skewed hella young. Yeah. I'm not, that makes you wonder what things were also on at the time that they were kind of, yeah, to be time slot buddies with. Yeah, because they really is like they want it to be like friends, but it's just such a bizarre. It almost feels like too cool of a concept for that era and for CBS, regardless of how it turned out. But the idea of like, yeah, it's like friends, but it's superheroes. Now it feels well, like they do that, but. Well, it's amazing. relevant. It's relevant because it seems like people to this day don't know how to get a group of superheroes together in a plausible <laughs> way and have them do any sort of adventures to this day. So, you know, that's why it's relevant. It's like, that was their, that was the first stab. There's been a bunch of stabs across uh, time and th- none of them really seem to work until arguably the Marvel stuff. Oh, I should also say the villain in that was called Weatherman, which based on my <laughs> minimal amount of research, isn't even a character. There's Weather Wizard of whom this was like kind of a, self ripoff of i don't know um, yeah why not just use the real weather wizard yeah i mean who, who knows uh famous comics writer mark wade described it as 80 minutes of my life i'll never get back wait it was that <laughs> long it was like a full length yeah Man, i, I thought it was, was gonna be a half hour no i think it was probably intended to be like with Battlestar, where yeah, it was they, like a premiere movie yeah it, then, like it was like the last um remnants of you know when pilots on network would be especially superhero like the flash pilot is an hour or it's longer you know with with um uh oh my gosh why am i blanking on one from the 90s John yeah. We love. yeah the the and like those those pilot episodes tended to be like feature length almost like movie of the week length almost so, so it feels just like that's like left over was going to be an hour show from the clips i saw i fully assumed i was like ah this is a 22 minute show or even it, though it almost looks more like it should be like an 11 minute show that's not in the middle of the, night that, on the cartoon network it has that vibe that's why i was saying if it was like more of a like what was that uh 
Jerry O'Connell movie where he has superpowers and can fly using like cans of hairspray. My Secret him- Identity. Yeah, like that kind of show of like yeah. superhero shows aimed at kids. Uh, that probably would have succeeded there. I don't know if we needed an hour long prime time. And who knows if it even would have ended up being an hour or if it would have gone down to half hour. I'm sure this is all part of why it did get picked up. <laughs> if it was supposed to be an hour, whoever was making the calls were just like, why do we even make this as a movie? This is never going to work. But that was the 90s. This is, uh, this is what superhero movies were. Or superheroes. This is how they were considered then before the X-Men and Spider-Man really put us where we are now. Such a different world. Yeah, that was so that was 97. I thought I had to bring that up. And around that same summer, uh, Batman and Robin came out. And around this time, Warner Brothers was trying to figure out how to bring Batman back. And Joel Schumer. Batman, Batman and Robin was the fourth one that everybody hated, right? Yes, yes. that's the one that killed the franchise. Pretty one, the infamous nipples, <laughs> Batman, and uh, anyway, yeah. So Joel Schumacher was still attached to do a Batman five, but he was having a hard time getting it off the ground. And then in December '97, he finally walked away to start Eight Millimeter and Dream Girls. But we know which one got made out of those two. And also around this time, Kevin Smith was offered to write the Green Lantern, and he turned it down. And so we'll. Late 90s, as we discussed on our previous episode, is when the ball started rolling on Wonder Woman. Um, Ivan Reitman was messing around. Now we're going to head into the 2000s. And in September 2000, uh, Aronofsky, Darren Aronofsky was hired to do Batman Year One. And around the same time, Batman Beyond was going on at Warner Brothers. And then in 2001, Warner Brothers was hiring Todd Alcott to do Wonder Woman for Joel Schumacher to write the script. And also in 2001, Andrew Kevin Walker was attached to write Superman vs. Batman, and Wolfgang Peterson was attached to direct. October 2001, an Aquaman movie was in the works with Kiefer Sutherland and Monica Potter. And so now we're moving on. Kiefer Sutherland is Aquaman. Yeah, I guess, was that during the time, I guess, when 24 was pretty big, I'm wondering? Yeah, 24 yeah. started, like, right after 9-11, right? Yeah, in, like, 2002. Yeah, so, yeah, to be honest, I had no idea about that one until I was, like, researching this. I was like... Although the way, not to get ahead of ourselves, the way Aquaman acts in this Justice League script, actually, I could imagine that being Kiefer Sutherland. 100%. Crusty. Totally. <laughs> yeah, and so the New York Times wrote in February 2002 that the studio is commissioning multiple scripts for single characters, for single character mo- movies they have like more than one team working on different movies at the same time like batman is you know they're developing a story featuring the crusader as a young man while a second team is developing a script with batman as a older more embittered crime fighter and several superman scripts are on the way including batman versus superman and so another month goes by and in february mick g steps in to direct superman with jj abrams on board to pen the script and that will eventually turn into superman flyby august wait what is superman flyby that's right, just... well, we will we will get to that more <laughs> I, 
have a whole other outline with that, and I'm trying. Yeah, that that Wolfgang Peterson Batman versus Superman you mentioned was like a whole different Batman versus Superman than the one yeah. we eventually got, right? Also, mm-hmm. like I'm sure that this is not going to come. This will come out, you know, in a couple of weeks. But the day of our recording today, it was announced that J.J. Abrams is producing a new Superman movie. You know, so it's, I I love how this has literally <laughs> been going on for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. And then, okay. So now August, 2002, Batman versus Superman, the story was halted and in place, Warner decided to make a more epic hope-filled Superman, the first script in a trilogy written by JJ Abrams. So JJ Abrams pitched this whole trilogy of films, Superman flyby. And so, yep. So now Batman versus Superman is off the plate and Brett Ratner comes on board to direct Superman in September, 2002. No, thank you. Yeah. Jump into 2003, January. Nolan is attached to direct Batman now. And the other two Batman projects are kind of long gone or the other three, excuse me. March, 2003, Brett Ratner leaves Superman flyby. May 2003, Wonder Woman gets a new script writer, and that was Philip Levins. June 5th, 2003, McG comes on board Superman as director. Um, and now we're going to jump to 2004, July 2004. McG splits as director of Superman, and Brian Singer steps in to direct Superman and Superman. It would be Superman Returns is the movie he's going to make. Yeah, so Superman Flyby was this crazy trilogy that jj abrams penned the script got leaked and it and people went crazy all over the internet at how they did not like it because it had nothing to do with the character and it's kind of famous that drew mcweeney did this whole write-up on ain't it cool news where he just destroyed the script and there a lot of people say that that kind of hurt the movie from getting made is how much he like just destroyed it you could look this all up it's pretty fascinating um but uh i have that all in a separate out yeah that feels like a separate episode (laughs) yeah like what and the script is out there and there's some cool concept art for it you know okay and then august 26 2004 another aquaman movie is back on track at warner brothers with the guys that produced starsky and hutch and the mod squad 2004 the like funny remakes of or i guess the mod squad wasn't supposed to be funny but the fun the there you go <laughs> yeah, but Starcy, I, I was feeling the same thing yeah and then in 2004 there's a there's a green lantern uh jack black was gonna star in rob i remember that yeah the script and that was gonna be just like a straight up ridiculous comedy about like what if some fat moron got a green lantern ring right? yes and the studio hated it and regretted hiring him because yeah it was pretty disastrous the way they saw it um and then that december 2004 david guy david goya was how do you say his name david goyer. 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 i had it right he was attached to write the flash 2005 they started shooting superman returns march 2005 josh whedon's attached to wonder woman and batman begins comes out june 15 2005 2006 Warner Brothers announces a Superman Returns sequel in February, four months before the movie comes out. What happened then? That's, yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Superman Returns comes out that summer and it doesn't do so well. And 2007 we're in right now. February, Josh Whedon exits Wonder Woman. The next day after Josh Whedon exits Wonder Woman, David Goya is kicked off of The Flash. 
or it says David Goya booted off the flash. I don't know if he left or if he was kicked I mean, off the project. That headline implies to me he was kicked off of the project at super speed <laughs> by a big yellow boot. Yeah. yeah. Don't they normally say they ankled it when they leave of their own accord? Ankle boot. I'll just, oh, this is ridiculous. And actually, what's pretty <laughs> trippy is that uh, Ryan Reynolds was attached to possibly be the Flash. In that I remember that. I mean, he, he would have been, been a pretty good Flash. flash. I agree. Mm. I think he would have been a great Flash. Makes more sense as Flash than Green Lantern. Agreed. It's true. All right. So now we're finally here. So February. <laughs> we made it. Second, the same month as. The same month as Josh, Josh, Joths, Whedon leaves Wonder Woman. David Goya leaves The Flash. Like a week later, they announced that uh, justice prevails for Warner Brothers. Batman may meet up with Superman on the big screen after all, along with Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and The Flash. And they're all the rest of DC Comics' biggest names. And so, and at that point, they already announced that the Mulroneys, Kieran and Michelle. Yeah, Dar- yeah. Well, different Kieran names is here. Dermot Mulroney's brother. Yeah, I don't know. Dermot, I don't think, had anything to do with the screenplay. <laughs> Seems like they caught the attention of the studios because they did like a rewrite of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And so that's how they got the, the gig to write Justice League. And then the same year in 2007, June, uh, the Avengers is kind of announced from The Hollywood Reporter. Avengers are heroes are on the horizon. And then June 15th, 2007, the Justice League script uh, is, is handed in by the duo, the team. What year did Iron Man come out? Summer 2008. It's, so so that, that announcement of 2007 for the Avengers, I, I didn't want to like derail our conversation, but something tells me that is a completely different iteration that maybe somebody like had the rights to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't. It was Zach was- Penn. Zach Penn wrote it, and I think at the time they were writing an Avengers movie. And I don't know if they were exactly planning this whole crazy thing that ended up happening, but they were pushing it forward at that time while okay. they were working on like Iron Man and stuff. Okay, I was just trying to like sort of ground us where we are. So this is like right before Marvel arrived and exploded this and whole thing. Keep in mind, two thousand eight is also when um, when. Uh, Correct me if I'm Ed Norton as the Incredible Hulk also comes out in the summer of 2008. So it's kind of interesting for us as we see the MCU now to see that there are some pieces that still remain and then some pieces that clearly do not still remain. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting to know that there was a there was an Avengers announcement way before Downey's Iron Man. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. And it- uh, I'm not sure if um, I would have to look if it's the same writer, if you got like a story boy or anything on that Avengers. But there was a few Avengers scripts, um, I guess, for another show we'll have to look at. I know there's a few out there. I think one was on eBay for, Jesus, like uh, Sam Ham's like Avengers script is like on eBay for like two grand or something. It's pretty crazy. Oh, Sam Ham. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah. So I guess Avengers was, on, you know, was always being floated around. All right, so Justice League gets the script in June 15, 2007. And then that summer they announced that Justice League will be coming summer 2009. And then August 2007, Christian Bale was interviewed at a 310 
310 to Yuma press junket. And they asked him, are you going to be in the Justice League as as the Batman? And he pretty much said no. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> but this was between Begins and Dark Knight. Like he was definitely going to play Batman again. He just wasn't going to be in the Justice League movie. Yeah, but they were like going to now cast like a whole new Batman. Because there was now articles when the new Batman got casted, they were like putting picture and picture of both actors next to each other and it was just it was confusing people like wait a second because the guy they ended up at the time army hammer will get to you know oh heavens famous cannibal army hammer oh lord <laughs> he was 21 oh years old when he was casted 21 yeah he was a baby <sighs> so um and then um they had barely eaten anybody yet <laughs> <laughs> He's just nibbling. He's just... Num, 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 num. You got to be 21 before you can get your cannibal exactly. license, right? <laughs> Must be 21 and this high to ride this <laughs> Yeah, so they asked Christian Bale, how, would, uh, how do you feel about the studio recasting Batman for Justice League? And he said, it'd be better if they just, you know, wait till we finish our Batman 3 before they you know, treading our waters. He wasn't very happy with it. And also the same summer, Juno director Jason Reitman was offered to direct Justice League and he turned it down. He told Howard Stern, the, the script was fine, but what am I going to do with the Justice League of America? So basically I'll make a movie that that is not as good as the X-Men and then I'll be the guy who made a movie not as good as the X-Men. <laughs> That's what he well, said. I'm actually, it, I think to, sorry, just to circle back, like the, the interest in doing an Avengers movie strikes me in 2007. So pre-Downey, pre-MCU as we know it you bring up X-Men, that's immediately where my mind went. It was like, okay, a group of superheroes. Right, right, right. Okay, Avengers. Sure, sure, sure. Let's try that out. You know, I think if I, rather than looking to DC for like the Avengers of it all, I would definitely look more to yeah, Marvel and to X-Men. Yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. And all right, I think we can start getting there because now September 20th, 2007, George Miller is attached to direct the Justice League of America. And yeah, wait, what did like this was during the well, this is this is well after Babe. This is like the Happy Feet era of uh definitely George happy Miller. Feet era. I think it was before the sequel. Um well, let me just rattle through this cast too, because this cast is sort of simultaneously super interesting and also just kind of head scratching. Yeah, Army Hammer as a 21 year old uh, Batman. Like this was like, I think this was even before he was on Reaper. If everyone remembers that show, which was my introduction to army hammer and, and this before is the, the social network, which was the world's yeah. general introduction. And this is the script that we read, Josh, the script that we read is the cast that you're reading now. You know, we have no way of knowing sure, sure. Um, this is, I mean, what this could still be even a fake draft, but nobody's I would if this was fake, I would have assumed the Mulroney's at some point would have come out and been like, yo, Ooh. that script you're all attributing to us wasn't us. So that Hello. makes me believe that this is one of their drafts, whether it's the first or the last. So we knows. think this is by Kieran Mulroney, who's Dermot Mulroney's brother. Is that a real thing? Yeah, they're they Dermot and Kieran are the villains in that Jennifer Connolly movie, Career Opportunities. They're the 
like burglars who break in and are fucking around oh, while they're but staying you said there. This by the Mulroneys, did, but Michelle and Kieran, they're married. Oh, okay, okay. And they would later on write the Game of Shadows, the Sherlock Holmes movie, and, oh. uh, and Geostorm. Oh. I just I Geostorm. I asked because um the idea of a 20-year-old playing or excuse me, a 21-year-old cannibal or no playing this Batman <laughs> is really weird. That's He's got really a whole weird. lot of ex-girlfriends that and, get name checked in yeah. the script for a 21-year-old. And like and and they're very specific to the Batman who Batman universe that started with Batman eighty nine. So like Vicky Vale specifically is like name dropped mm-hmm. in the script. So my bigger point, without getting ahead of ourselves, is simply that like if you told me this was Ben Affleck Batman, you know, I like as we saw him in Snyder's movies, I would be like, okay, yeah, 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 I could totally see like that Batman being this Batman, but a twenty one year old uh is yeah. not i do I, I i wonder if they tried to age it down in a draft after this i don't know because there's a lot of uh well, i'm just gonna go down this list so yeah, give it to us wonder sure, yes. woman was gonna be megan gale who i think is an australian model but people who saw fury road she was one of the like the pack of like older women they finally get to out in the desert and she actually did camera tests, right? Like, aren't there photos of her in Wonder Woman's out in stuff like Which that? Which we can post on our gotcha. okay, Twitter yes. and Instagram. Yeah, she um, looks like Wonder Woman to me. Yeah, she she would have been interesting. Uh, Superman was DJ Katrona. Uh, right. Who I, uh, is one of the other siblings in Shazam or the 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 Shazam version of the siblings in Shazam. He also, um, for anybody who watched the Dust Till Dawn series, um, which I actually quite enjoyed, but he's one of the brothers in From Dust Till Dawn. Is he? Uh the um not nerdy one, not the one with glasses. The <laughs> okay. the George Clooney one. The yeah, George Clooney say, you can just say the sorry, yes. The Yes. And I actually, Seth Gecko, I think. Yeah. And I actually asked him about, I interviewed DJ about Dusk, but they asked me to ask about Superman. And I did ask him about this. And he was bummed out. I think yeah. he, was, he was, he was, and this was years later. I mean, I did think um, that about all these people of like, oh man, you almost got to be Superman or yeah. whoever. Right. Big break. Uh, so this is, this cast. This is another thing going back to what Clark was just saying about the script. Adam Brody as Barry Allen, the Flash. I love actually, that. That sounds like a good choice, except for just the he's married and like he doesn't feel Adam Brody's age at the time. But like, I still feel like in this script, he still plays young and wisecracky. He does. Yes. I mean, the character just, of Barry Allen, it's funny because like I grew up with Wally West and like in that like Barry Allen was always kind of the perfect hero and Wally was the one who was a wisecracky screw up. But then ever since Barry Allen came back to life because of reboots or whatever, like Barry, they always give Barry Wally's personality and Wally's oh. kind of just like hanging out, having but a, he like, also showed up in Shazam. <laughs> uh, That's true. Yeah. Shazam was yeah, yeah. like, Hey, sorry guys, we'll shove you all at the end of one of our other movies. Uh, this is my favorite piece of crazy casting that I think much like Megan Gale is only cause it was George Miller is uh, Hugh key. Hugh keys burns. I think is how you say his name um, who played a Morton Joe in fury road and toe cutter in the original Mad Max was going to be Martian Manhunter. 
Um, wow. It's also just interesting, the age spread between him and the rest of all these like 20-year-olds they are casting would have been interesting. Um, so Teresa Palmer, who people probably know from like Warm Bodies and stuff, uh, she was going to be Talia al Ghul, which feels like very white casting for that character to me. But yeah, uh, she's also Australian, I believe. So I think a lot of these might have just been local higher choices. Um, Santiana, Santiago Cabrera, I think is how you say his name, was going to be Aquaman. Um, he is someone I looked him up. He was on like Big Little Eyes and one of the Transformer movies. Uh, apologies to him. Or any of his fans. I'm just not that familiar with him. Um, oh, he skipped Zoe Kazan from The Big Sick was going to be Iris Allen, Barry Allen's wife. Uh, this is another like young, skewing, interesting choice that uh, is also interesting to think of where things they went with Lex Luthor. Um, but Jay Baruchel was going to play Maxwell Lord, what? who is the villain in this movie. What? <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. Who's playing Max in our read-throughs today? Is that going to affect Clark how you're going to perform it? Me! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, that is wild casting. Whoa, I did not realize that. I'm sorry to get so excited, nuts. but uh, I had no idea. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> it's something we will talk about as we're going through the script here that it's interesting is the pieces of this that you can tell they ended up reusing yeah, they were like, what if Lex Luthor is Jesse Eisenberg instead yeah. of some cool old guy? Um, uh, this yeah. piece of casting I really like. Common was going to be John Stewart, Green Lantern. I think he would have been pretty cool. Um, and Anton Yelchin, RIP, was going to be Wally West, the oh, young other Flash. Oh, I love that. And that also is giving the listeners, so that that's our preview of the Justice League cast here with Maxwell Lord as the villain, even though that's sort of like a twist, but not really if you know who Maxwell Lord is. Um, and I guess relevant. Well, I was just going to say, I, I'm guessing they went with this type of cast so they, they can kind of grow into the roles if they're doing more movies. Like Chris Hemsworth wasn't really known when he was casted for Thor and then he kind of grew into it. So maybe that's because I was wondering. And I think also they were, I think they were trying to save money. So they didn't have to. Have yeah, it can't be all big stars, because then if you pay their quotes, your movie's super expensive, even before you pay for, you know, Wonder Woman punching Superman through the moon. But that's that's also something that goes through the it's a thread throughout this whole um, Justice League movie is that part of the big deal about it was that they had to go to Australia to get Australia's like film bonuses, their film rebates or whatever. They, they would give you a big ass rebate if you but filmed it down there. A certain and, percentage of the cast has to be Australian as well. I, you know what I mean? That That's why there's three um, um, Australians in the cast. Yeah. You know? I mean, for me, it's not even the stop part. It's more just the age. Uh, and again, th this might be an early draft that they changed before these dis casting decisions were going to be made. But you'll see getting into it. Yeah, the idea that Army Hammer as the Batman in this script and Jay Baruchel as the Maxwell Lord in this script, they just they feel like full on adults, not 21 year olds. Yeah, 2000. Sorry. Sorry. Just to clarify, 2007. Seven? So, OK. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, part of it might just be that they were like, look at this army hammer dude. He's 21, but he 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 looks 30 because he's I so will tall say, and when rich. When I looked him up and realized how much younger than 
me he was i was kind of like what <laughs> son of a bitch i thought he was like older than me what's going on here I just think that's so interesting for a Bruce Wayne too, because Army Hammer, like I, all all nonsense aside, like let's pretend that we're picturing him like three months ago. You know, he he strikes me as not. I don't know. I don't see him as Bruce I Wayne. I feel like Army Hammer is the guy that Batman is like putting on as Bruce Wayne. Like totally. that's yeah. like Army it. is Bruce Wayne. He's old money, <laughs> yes. rich guy. IRL. He's Bruce Wayne yes. if he just stayed a dildo and his yes. parents hadn't been murdered and devoted yeah. his just, life to justice. He, it wasn't his it wasn't his yeah. cover or secret identity. It's like actually who he was. Yes, yes, yes. The yes, it's easy to see him as Bruce Wayne. It's hard to see him as Batman. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I, that's that's one of the only I'm, I don't want to say only, but one of the things I think is kind of brilliant about this, honestly, if I may let some of my feelings be known, I think them trying to have a young Batman, but then having him have an old Batman's baggage is just really hilarious. <laughs> I mean, right? OK, well, we'll go through the script uh, beat by beat here, but just kind of teeing things up with our general impressions. I assume we all essentially had the same reaction, which is uh, to me, the script isn't even good or bad. My main reaction is just like, this script is bonkers. Like, you have to know <laughs> so much about comic books to appreciate any of it. Uh, it has that feeling of being like, this feels like it would have been the Avengers we got after they'd done all the individual movies and introduced yeah. us to everybody. Intro, yeah. no one. Is they just... really don't introduce. I feel like the bulk of the audience walking out of that movie, <laughs> and you'd be like, who Martian Manhunter is my favorite. What do you think about that character? They'd say like, I don't, what, what is he? Like yeah. he was not introduced. You don't understand anything about is him. Is he an alien or is he a mutant? Uh, they like fail to really tell you anything about Wonder Woman, like all these characters. And like, they like, well, yeah, they expect a, you lot, to know everything. There's a lot of uh, textual uh, things that you, you can't really act like there are so many text directions, you know what I'm saying? Like emotional <laughs> directions in the text where they'll be like, the action slugs will be like, oh, they grab each other's hands knowingly, good friends. Like what? <laughs> like what? Come on, Ed, you don't know how to knowingly grab someone's <laughs> hand. So here's something that I think is interesting. Um, if for, for, your, for the listeners, if you listen to our Wonder Woman series, we did an episode on the Todd Alcott script where essentially wonder girl was the lead and wonder woman was the supporting character now this was a similar thing where where you're reading the script and you're like you spend no time introducing anything and this is allegedly the first time wonder woman is going to be on screen let alone wonder girl right but then we find out that their alleged casting was more securely sandra bullock as wonder girl post Miss Congeniality. So she had really established herself as a certain archetype and then a Lucy Lawless type character as our Wonder Woman, okay? So I bring this up because I feel like that casting, when we recorded that Wonder Woman episode, I was like, oh, say no more. You've done all the heavy lifting for me. At that time, if you put Sandra Bullock as Wonder Girl in this script, the audience knows exactly what that is. We don't need to actually do that. What's interesting about this script is that 
we don't know who these people are. These are not household names. These are not actors that you automatically go, I know what their shtick is. I know what their deal is. And they spend zero time setting any of that up. So I just think like, I think that is really notable. I think it is super interesting to not even cast an archetype you just cast a bunch of young hot people, which don't get me wrong. Like Adam Brody is as Barry Allen. I love He's probably the most famous person exactly. in this cast to like the average American exactly. the time. Cause the so, OC was all the rage. So that's confusing. Like that's extra weird that that's the path that they were going down. <laughs> it's like the cartoon. They're just thinking, Oh, they must've watched the. Well, and that was what I reminded me of because I really liked that JLU cartoon from back in this era. And I would watch that with Pat and our other friend Sherman at the time who knew way more about comic books. And that show had an interesting tactic where clearly the creators were like, for once, we just want to make a show that feels like the comic books, which in some ways are kind of like you can't just jump in as a random reader because there's so much backstory. And it was always like turning to Pat and Sherman being like, who's this guy? what's happening. It was still enjoyable, but that's what this, it, to me, it's crazy to make a move, a big expensive movie with that same vibe where you would just every scene, you're like, what is happening? Who is this? I mean, the funny thing about comics is it's like every issue is somebody's first issue. And like, it's like, you can't jump in the middle, but at the same time, that's literally does. how yeah, everyone yeah. does it. You pick up an issue at your friend's house and you're, and you're just like, who's this guy? Who's that guy? And that's like part of the fun is the puzzle of figuring it all out. And that's like what made the JLU work. But that's that's just not how how movies work. Yeah, you have to, I mean, you can't that's like a pause form. the movie in the movie theater. You, I just feel like every audience would have been half the people there would have been annoyingly asking questions to like their nerdy friend next to them. Why or do they do they not like each other? What's this the relationship between this person and that person? But uh, I mean, maybe we should just jump into it because we're going to yeah, be having. Wait, I, I do just want to say one other reaction is like George Miller. I knew that he'd been making this and I know he's such a unique filmmaker and all his movies are so George Miller that I always wondered what this was, but reading this, it doesn't feel like it's a George Miller movie Agreed. at a all. Thousand percent. This feels a thousand like percent. a movie like written by a robot who'd been like a, given a list of like elements to include by like the editors of DC comics or not even the editors, but possibly just like the, like, the executives, you know, of just like, <laughs> we need this, we need this. And they gave them a list that was twice as long as what you could put into a movie. And they did their best of cramming it all in there. Well, it was interesting oh. looking up, sorry to interview Clark, but I was going to say that looking up the Mulroney's, uh, cause I would have guessed that this was written. Like this is one of the, the one time the studio was like, you know what, let's get some comic writers to write it. Uh, who'd never written a movie before. And they're just writing it like they might write a comic book and not really thinking about uh, people who aren't familiar. So it, I don't know. What's strange to realize what the context was, and I would I would love to know uh, what the thinking was in this script, like what the conversations that everyone was having of what approach they were going to have. As Clark noted, we're referencing backs to X Men, you know, which that begins. The X Men have been around for a while, but that was also a very easy thing to wrap your head around once they kind of start explaining it. And Wolverine, I mean, with that, you take one school. new person and kind of drop yeah. them in, and Wolverine's like, "What the hell is going on?" And then they're like, "This," and they just tell him, "It's a school a movie for mutants." Okay, got which, it. Which, in this case, <laughs> like maybe would have been the better way to do it because this is another movie about the Justice League forming when it could have just been like. 
starts with Superman flying in with donuts to their headquarters and they're already a team and then just an adventure exactly. breaks out. Yes, that is that is the biggest thing. And 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 I feel like this is almost like a backdoor flash, you know, movie because I would argue that the Flash is the character that we introduce, get to know, spend the most time with, know the most intimately and, and has then also- the most most arc Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I wonder, something tells me cynically that it was not a studio mandate. So maybe I wonder, like, I know that the Mulroneys are, are what, you know, a writing team and they do whatever they do. But, but my bigger point is, I wonder if they just were Flash fans. Like, to your point, Josh, I would be super curious to know if they just in their own lives were DC Comics fans but maybe had an affinity for the flash because I feel like his character here, it really jumps off the page. Like to me, the flash is, and he's not the lead by any stretch. However, he's the one who like, you know, like you said, Pat, like has a legitimate art. Yeah. He's kind of the emotional center. And he's the heart. He's everything. To what Pat was saying and why I do wonder where this fall, the script falls in the uh, timeline is if, once Miller really got involved, if there was a later script that ended up feeling a bit more George Millery, because he's he's had a crazy career. Just the fact that the guy, same guy who made Mad Max, made Babe uh, and Happy <laughs> and Lorenzo's Oil and Witches of Eastwick. But all his movies mm. are, uh, I would say, quite good. Like across all genres, he is a very good yeah. storyteller. His worst movie is still pretty great. Yeah. It's like, you uh, know, maybe Beyond and- Thunderdome, which is an <laughs> awesome movie, you know? Um, People don't realize he made Happy Feet. So he had Babe Pig in the City in 98, which was kind of crazy when it came out. A lot of people. Yeah, well, horrible bomb, but it's in- kind of awesome. awesome. It's the yeah. Mad Max version of a Babe movie. <laughs> Well, at Happy just, Feet, he bounced back with, and that was yeah. a huge hit. So he was probably, you know, they're they're about to hand him a big check and a big, huge movie, you know. So and this this is between Happy Feet one and two is where we're following in the timeline here. Oh, and, and, and can I say one thing? I think one thing about the script that seems George Millerian is the whole the breathless nature of it. Right. You would you get you get dropped in a fury road. There's a guy, he pisses on stuff and he eats <laughs> bugs and he ain't got no guzzling and some dudes are chasing him. Let's go. You know what I mean? And, and it doesn't oh, matter true. if you're seeing all those yeah. other movies. Really they, just, they just go and then, oh, he got trapped. Oh, there's some ball headed dudes and they, they huff paint. Let's go. Let's go. Let's keep going. And I think back then, one way that you could see this sort of material would be this sort of briskly get through it because if you look at it too long, it's like, it's like what's that old joke? You stare at a butterfly. It's the nastiest, ugliest thing ever. <laughs> but if you just let it fly past you, it's a beautiful moment and stuff, you know? <laughs> that It's like they treat superhero narratives like that. Like if you if you closely examine them in any way, they fall apart and they're the stupidest thing ever. So let's just keep it brisk, baby. You know, yeah. and I, I get that. I get that from this script a lot. That's a good point. Maybe because I feel if you're reading a script of Fury Road, you might have thought like, wait, what's up with this guy with the flaming guitar <laughs> yes. at the Great front point. of this truck? But when you're watching it in the movie, somehow you entirely get that guy's role in their society. Yep. Nothing more was needed. Um, all right, let's dive right into the script then, because we got a lot of stuff we want to read about it, and I'm sure we'll have many, many comments <laughs> as we go throughout. Um, so we're going to kick things off here by reading the first two pages. Clark, are you ready? All right. Give me a, a, two seconds, please. Uh, uh, all right, I'm ready. <laughs> all right. So uh, we don't have a cover page to the script, I should note. So we don't actually know 
what draft or date uh, this had is part of why we can't quite place it in Steve's timeline. Uh, but it begins exterior dark sky day, a single letter, just one out of 26, but maybe the most iconic letter on earth. It's the S <laughs> on Superman's chest, the symbol of truth, of justice, the symbol of everything that's right with the world, but something's wrong. It's not red on a field of gold and blue, not the S we know from our childhoods, our whole lives. It's black, black on black. Pull back and back to find the man behind the S, the sentinel and protector, the man of steel, Superman floating still and weightless with all with his or and his all black uniform stark against the sky the sad sound of tolling bells takes us down to exterior metropolis skyline day metropolis deserted no traffic no people wonder woman voiceover justice truth peace superman gliding through the canyons of skyscrapers like he's the last creature on earth to exterior metropolis great cathedral the cathedral spires reaching and here a colossal crowd of thousands and thousands of citizens all looking skyward at superman descending gently the words themselves so simple the concept so pure and yet interior cathedral the cathedral's vast interior stainless steel or stainless glass blah 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 <laughs> Front row, we see the Justice League, the world's heroes, all dressed in mourning black. Where is justice, we ask, when in the battle for peace, the mightiest among us is fallen? Where truth, when such terrible things befall those we love? We see flashes of iconic symbols, costumes and insignia, profiles, eyes downcast, faces turned away. But even in glimpses, we know them, know all of them, Wonder Woman. Green Lantern, Aquaman, The Flash, The Martian Manhunter, all there, all except for Batman, a coffin in a somber amber light. Could it be? Wonder Woman, at a lectern, a eulogy. We know that forces of darkness will always threaten this planet, and we know that to fight them will take all of our powers. The sound of bells carries us out to Great Cathedral, Metropolis, Central Avenue. The superheroes carry the casket on their shoulders, feeling the weight and the burden. But we also know those of us who come from different lands, from different worlds, we know where truth lies, where peace can be found, where justice is. We know because he taught us. Exterior cemetery, a gravesite, surrounded by seven solemn black clad heroes. The casket is lowered into the ground. It is in the human heart. Rolling thunder, a spattering of rain as these words appear on screen. Two days ago, the world is at peace and suddenly the sun is shining and bright. So yeah, cryptic beginning. They're kind of basically saying that Batman is dead. Um, whether or not- the Or Oscar, is he? Yeah, or nice. is he? Uh, funny thing is, what, th th that's, a, that's a, an example of what Ed was saying because the script is like, Batman's not there, but the audience wouldn't know that, especially an audience who doesn't know the Justice League. They don't know what the roster is. Is it meaningful yeah. that he's just they not know, in the crowd? The audience knows we're at a funeral. I yeah. do like that they're all wearing like special black like alternate uniforms. That's fun. I also thought about that. I was like, so does that mean that like the Green Lantern is wearing a black suit, but with his mask? And like, you know, like <laughs> very comic booky that you can do with this, which I do not think 
that George Miller would have done. But especially now that like, you know, we we are recording this in anticipation of, of Zack Snyder's Justice League coming out. And like there is big to do about about Kal-El being back in the black suit and all of that stuff. And I'm like, OK, my bigger argument is that this only works if you remember Superman in a way that you loved him. Like it's only, <laughs> you know, and so I think they're really whether it is Zack Snyder's Justice League, whether it is Justice League, you know, that came out a couple of years ago or whether it is this, I really think that they are resting on the laurels of, well, everybody knows Superman. They're just, they get it. Everybody does know Superman, at least. Like, it's the other characters that it's you need just, to introduce. And from, yeah, I'm a little bit of a Superman, like, protector. <laughs> I feel like Superman and Batman, you can give it to us and you don't have to explain what their deal is. Everyone else, though, I think for the general well, audience. It'd be, it'd be different I, like, if they were like, like, oh, Red Tornadoes. <laughs> right. I, I do wonder if it wasn't like there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's like references to classic comic book moments and like maybe they they literally had a list one of them was like let's get Batman in this in the black suit but this is kind of like an elegant way to do it actually I I, I like the alternate it's a, it's a, it begins with some uh, intrigue Speaking I like of- it better than the the execution that Superman's gone evil and we didn't earn that you know in the newer <laughs> like I, I do like this better. Um, speaking of things plucked from the comics, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know if it had appeared somewhere first, but we introduce here the Planet Hollywood-like restaurant of Planet Krypton, which is from Kingdom Come, isn't it? Yep. Um, there, there's also some kind of like Batman-themed like fast food restaurant in the DC universe where like you can order Jokerize your fries. That's been like a running gag in the comics <laughs> for the last few years. That also established that Batman eats his hamburgers with a knife and fork and all the Robins oh think it's super God. weird. What a weirdo. But yeah, so for those who don't remember it from Kingdom Come, this is a Planet Hollywood-like uh, superhero restaurant where, you know, I'll just... Barry Allen is there with his wife, Iris. Although for some reason in the blocking, they describe him as Detective Barry Allen. Was Barry Allen ever a detective in the comics? He's always been a police lab guy oh a lab guy that's what i was thinking yeah was he like sometimes he gets described as a scientist but a scientist on the police force and so yeah like like, is he a cop does he have a badge it's kind of straddles that okay well they call him detective barry allen once and then they never that never even comes up again but uh, here's just (laughs) a snippet of him ordering his food to give you an idea of the planet krypton restaurant uh, their waiter is the Flash, you know, cute little joke there. Who doesn't realize that this is the Flash? Hi there, Flash. I will have, let's see, two crypto burger platters, both Superman sized and a large wonder slaw. Plus, let's go ahead and add an Aquaman, just the sandwich, what with extra tartar sauce and a coffee. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's the whole thing here where like Wonder Woman is on the TVs in the restaurant addressing the UN. I guess the idea is that the world is currently like at peace. Whatever. A weird element, yeah, that like it's a world with no problems, even though then like when things start going wrong, they list off like 50 supervillains. I'm like, it doesn't seem like the world's that at peace. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, and then we cut to... Uh, Batman in his little bat cave using, and this is from the comic books, right? Brother Eye. Mm-hmm. Does anyone want to explain what that is better? Or I can just summarize what it is. And it's like just a crazy, super high tech, like satellite. He uses the spy on the world, right? 
Yeah, well, way, way, way back in the Jack Kirby days, he made the, he made up this dude called OMAC, the One Man Army Corps, and you could drop this guy behind enemy lines. He would just beat up the other army, and he had a satellite in the sky called Brother Eye that watched him do all that stuff, and it was like his kit, night, his night rider kit. You yeah. know what I mean? Like when he would get hurt, it would beam down some stuff and put him back together. John Byrne did a black and white run of OMAC in like the '90s that was super dope. But yes, in the modern day conception of OMAC, it's some. Um, Batman thing that he screws over his friends with, basically, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, uh, or that somebody can commandeer to screw over Batman. Well, and that's uh, and that's how we kick things off. Here is uh, Batman is using Brother Eye to spy on, and this is kind of how, in that sense, it's a, it's a good device to introduce the various uh, meta humans here who will make up the Justice League. Is just Batman surreptitiously spying on him, and the Brother Eye is like, you know. They're all they're all inactive, I guess, uh, meaning that they're not superheroing. Because again, <laughs> the world is at peace, which I'm not I'm not even really sure what that means. Because there's still crime everywhere, but I guess there isn't super villain crime. Because um, yeah, we see Clark Kent and he's getting a cat or kite out of a tree. Uh, we see Green Lantern. He's in a classroom. A kid like shows him a drawing of a unicorn. So he brings that drawing to life with his Green Lantern ring. Just the dumbest demonstration <laughs> of his powers possible. <laughs> By the way, Josh, you might want to back off of your mic slightly. Okay. You're like kind of peeking out. Okay. Peeking out. All right. This is a brand new mic. So I'm used to my other one that I really had to ride. Uh, <laughs> Wonder Woman, as I said, is at the UN. Martian Manhunter, Detective John Jones is in his Detective John Jones uh, secret identity, which again is meaningless to anyone who doesn't know who Martian Manhunter is, but uh, he's off, you know, doing police work. Um, Pat, uh, Ed, if you're ready, we got a little scene here between Bruce Wayne and uh, Alfred. All right, you ready? Yeah, starting ready? just right at the top of seven. Russell, the screen instantly goes black, and as a, as a figure steps out of the shadows, it's Alfred, his butler, his friend. All quiet, Master Bruce. Too quiet. <laughs> well, world peace has a way of doing that. Maybe it's time we started thinking of things as promising. Dare we say? Peace isn't a promise, Alfred. It's an intermission, a threat. Point noted. Still. Crime is down to a mere nuisance. The city is generally quiet, and the sun does shine, sir. So I've heard. All your time down here in the dark, monitoring them. Some might say you've become somewhat... Paranoid? What if, Alfred? What if something happens? They're not human. None of them. Not fully. And with their powers? If not me, who's going to watch them? What if? You see what I'm saying? I believe you're saying, what if, sir? Bruce smiles. The sun's shining, huh? Yes, and your guests are waiting. My guests? Your surprise birthday party, sir. Oh, that. Surprise. Batman sighs, gets to his feet. He heads for the elevator, followed by Alfred. As the doors slide close, we're on the blackened monitor screen. It blinks once. A burst of code races across the screen. Numbers, letters, zeros and ones. Words gradually uh, coalescing. Create our directive. Override. <laughs> um, yeah, so now we go up. Uh, we're going to kind of skip right ahead, do another little scene to read here. 
we go up to uh, Bruce Wayne's big fancy birthday party where Maxwell Lord's there and he's kind of like talking to other people about all how all the who's who of rich buttholes are here at this party. Um, this movie's saying that Bruce and Maxwell are old friends and we get a little exchange here, setting up some relevant stuff. Uh, interior Wayne Manor ballroom. In the party, Bruce Wayne is surrounded. Handshakes, birthday kisses. He's the life and soul. Maxwell Lord steps up with his gaggle of beauties, gives Bruce a bear hug. Who knew you had so many friends? Oh, they're just here because I'm obscenely rich. (laughs) Bruce playing the dilettante. They laugh, two of a kind, under his breath. Hell, we both know without men like you and me to grease their wheels, most of these jokers would be waiting tables at one of my restaurants. Bruce nods to a long buffet table loaded with food, retro American style, stacks of perfect hamburgers and perfect buns. I hear you did the catering. One of the benefits of my little sideline business, free dinner. Have you tried the crypto burgers? I don't eat food with names, Max. Planet Krypton's in every major city on the planet? Over a million served? The whole world can't be wrong. Uh, and we see all the, the richy riches eating <laughs> uh, Planet Krypton burgers. Um, just funny. I feel like this it ended up being kind of prescient to like how Trump would Trump always bring McDonald's, McDonald's to every like big swanky thing. I just want to know what Batman means. I don't eat food with names. Like all food has names. He only eats <laughs> like a bucket of slop. Yes, I have well, devised my s- own unnamed slop. <laughs> no, that's what I was going to say earlier. Is like that the concept of Batman eating a burger with a knife and fork is stupid. Only because Batman, you know, Batman eats protein style. He, he wraps exactly. it in lettuce. He does not eat carbs. Batman does not eat carbs. It's like oh. Alfred likes to make him like uh, cucumber sandwiches. But yeah, like I feel like they've never gotten into this in the comics. But Batman would definitely have a super strict diet. He would eat like Tom Brady eats. Yeah, I feel yeah. like he'd be kind of joyless. It's all pr- like prepared in little Tupperware stuff for the whole week. And he's just mm-hmm. eating like skinless boiled chicken yeah. with it's rice. And stuff. He should have like a compartment for just chicken breasts it's that pop out in the Batmobile. Of miserable uh crossfit food prep every saturday or sunday afternoon is exactly that it's just keto and that's the perfect time to rob a bank when batman's doing his food prep for the week (laughs) all right and then so now we go back to uh john jones uh still normal human john jones finds a jar with a weird little creature in it that looks like a seahorse and he's in his car and he pulls it out and looks at it and it coughs a mist at him and then he bursts into flames this was actually the scene where when first reading the script i was just like whoa what is (laughs) what is happening the audience is going to be so confused this made no sense to me and i am very familiar with dc um so then we move away from that and then we cut back to flash uh still at planet krypton and I think something comes up on the news about like an explosions in Denver, which is where John Jones was. Cause it's like after the, he bursts into flames, he crashes into like an oil tanker. And there's a big, yeah, he does a terrible job of containing the damage. He's like, I'm slightly on fire. I'm going to drive directly into a giant propane tank at like the airport or whatever and cause a tremendous disaster. Hey man, a seahorse coughed on him. So. 
cut him some slack. Uh, but so the flash runs all the way over to Denver. Uh, oh, we've also set up uh, a lot of the, all the scenes with Iris and Barry Allen uh, are kind of very, you know, bantery quipping with each other and teasing each other. And he's kind of openly obsessed with Wonder Woman, who he has not he met. has never met. Yeah. Like none of these heroes have like met each other seemingly. Yeah. Or- so he shows up to save Martian Manhunter at the same time as Wonder Woman. And he kind of fanboys out on her makes her uncomfortable uh they save martian manhunter uh put him out but his skin's all like blackened from the fire uh this funny thing is you know a lot of writers do this but it's like this movie is very much written like it was already the edited movie where we're, like their scenes are very short and we're just kind of keep cutting back and forth uh with everything which at points kind of creates the illusion like we're moving fast when actually we're moving super slow like we actually <laughs> spend like an hour of this movie basically hanging out at wonder woman's apartment yeah uh, yeah, her conservatory or whatever they keep yeah. calling it it's like it's a weird exhibit that she lives in but also the op the op the um the seahorse thing it's just plainly there for them to involve aquaman if the thing that spits on homeboy is not a seahorse there is no way for them to logically ask aquaman a damn thing that's true <laughs> well that's why that was all part of max's evil plan yeah but, uh, <laughs> but uh so back at the the birthday party big twist here which again is not much of a twist if you don't know anything about these characters uh, it's revealed that Talia Al Ghul is there at the party. Dun, dun, dun. And we kind of have to have a quick, like, one year ago flashback to establish that. I mean, that, they, they barely even, like, and, like Max kind of tells the audience what's he does. up. He's, He's like, like, oh, she betrayed her father for Batman. But, like, why would he know that? And the audience has doesn't understand who any of these people are other yeah, than Batman. Uh, Batman is like, oh, my God, Talia's here. No. Uh, but then this is kind of interrupted by Elford showing up. Oh, we also established that Maxwell Lord gets these nosebleeds. Um, but Elford shows up and he's like, Hey, yo, Batman, it's the Martian, John Jones. He's been attacked. And Batman's like, eh, whatever, how? But then when Elford says fire, Batman's like, Oh, whoa, whoa. party's <laughs> over. Um, <laughs> So I guess that's a cliffhanger. Then we cut to Wonder Woman's conservatory where uh, Flash and her have brought Martian Manhunter, who's still all fucked up. Superman shows up. So the Flash gets to like nerd out on him a little bit. Martian yeah, they Man- got Martian Manhunter like in a bathtub, basically, yeah. so he won't burst into flames. And he notes like, they knew my one weakness, fire. And the way he describes it is like, I've kept that secret so well. How could anyone know when I would assume lighting anyone on fire would hurt them? So the chances of someone even just accidentally finding out that fire works on Martian Manhunter seem very likely. And it was unclear to me, like, gradually it becomes apparent that he is like a known public superhero as Martian Manhunter, but it's like the way he functioned at in the comics at various times it's sort of like he's just a full-time normal human cop who uses his martian powers to defeat evil he's kind of only in public when he's like hanging out with the justice league if you don't know the history of martian manhunter and and i will say like i love david harewood as martian manhunter on um cw supergirl he's great and i actually wish that we could have some more time with him as martian manhunter but we do get into the history of his people the history of his planet the history of like what actually happened and he mentions it here in the script you know at one point he's like fire destroyed my people like okay fine 
but yeah, it's just like if you don't know that to to all of these points, it's like, okay, aren't you supposed to be a superhero and like fire hurts you? Okay, well, fire hurts regular people. Fire hurts everyone. So like, like what? Yeah, you it's know? like I mean, if you were a superhero and fire was your weakness, you wouldn't want everyone to know that because exactly. it's very easy for them to use it against you. Exactly. <laughs> it's like how Unbreakable's one weakness was drowning was was but it's everybody's water that in the new one unbreakable it's like just being near water makes him weaker like it's kryptonite and sometimes that's the way it is with martian manhunter just like being near fire makes him weak even if it doesn't like touch him like kind of scarecrow wizard of oz situation and like it's just uh, yeah it's and they definitely made less of a big deal about it when he was in the justice league with fire and they were constantly standing next to each other while she was fully burst into flame (laughs) human torch style that didn't that never bothered him once yeah ex- exactly they they basically they don't do a very good job of introducing really any of this and so yeah not great and then as that already kind of uh noted when martian man hunters like i got attacked by a sea creature they're immediately like mm, i know who we need to go talk to aquaman and then superman heads off now we get a big reveal where we cut to a construction site, Lower Manhattan, Maxwell Lord's archive chamber, where we see uh, he's got like all these like like old tiny TV monitors that have like the f- pictures of a bunch of like kids on them. And he really focuses in on one kid, uh, Jonah Wilkes. Are you ready, Jonah? He says, because uh, he's he's our puppet master. We're we're starting to realize. Then we cut back to Barry at home uh, with Iris talking about, like, oh, well, I got to meet Wonder Woman, and they tease each other some more. And then Wally West shows up. Who can someone just give like a super quick explanation for listeners of like what the difference and order is of Barry Allen and Wally West? I'll do it. Go, go, go. So Barry, Barry's the Flash. Wally is Iris's nephew who once, while visiting Barry, like learns that Barry's the Flash. And he's like, how'd you get your powers? And Barry's like, oh, I got struck by lightning where there was all these chemicals on the thing. Barry sets it up. It was just like this. And then it got struck by lightning and lightning struck again. So the exact same thing happened to Wally. Now he's also super fast and he becomes his sidekick kid flash and later they sort of retconned it of to explain how this could have possibly happened a second time because obviously that's incredibly preposterous and the fact that they both have like the metagene the same powers but they're not blood relatives they're not they share no genes (laughs) And, and this was another thing when he shows up i'm just like wow so we're introducing two flashes in the same movie. Well, and in this movie, because of the fact that their origins are so preposterous, they just don't offer an explanation. They you know, both are just super works. fast. Uh, yeah, which is better. They play ping pong together. So I'm glad this movie didn't get made. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't have had Sonic playing <laughs> ping pong. With no, Quicksilver plays ping pong movie. with himself in uh, Days of Future Past. Oh, we just forgot about it. <laughs> True. It was embarrassing when no. someone pointed that out Damn to me. It. There are Oops. no original ideas. Um, <laughs> Let's see here. So we go down uh, to the Aegean Sea where Superman like flies down into the ocean. Uh, He goes to Poseidonus. How do you, I mean, I get that it's Poseidon with an (laughs) IS at the end uh, is, I looked it up. It's like the capital city of Atlantis, uh, which shows what I know. I was thinking Atlantis was just its own city, but I guess that's more like the state. 
and Poseidonus <laughs> is the city. Uh, Nailed it. something new every day. There you go. <laughs> Again, we're just cutting around all over the place here. Maxwell Lord is he's spying on Bruce um, using the brother eye. He's like hacked into it. Talia shows up. She so realized that her and Maxwell Lord are on the same side. Um, Maxwell Lord's like, there's no way he could see what's coming and initiates phase one of his evil plan. Can I interject something real fast? Certainly may. For- for the nerds on this Zoom, you know, Batman's whole thing in the comics, and and I will say, like, I have mixed feelings about Batman as portrayed in this script, because arguably we have not seen this version of Batman on film. The Batman who's like, I'm an island unto myself. Oh, I like you and want you to be my family, but leave me alone. Only I can be trusted. Like, I'm going to get a little sweaty later because I straight up hate Batman in the comics sometimes because of this shit. And it is the big climax fight between Superman and Batman at the end. But nonetheless, did anybody else kind of feel like the way it was written in the script of Batman in his Batcave watching his screen and then cut to Maxwell Lord in his kind of Batcave watching Batman in his Batcave and then that's how they choose to reveal this. This made me furious because Batman is supposed to be world's greatest detective. And so the idea that this just, like something went so like whoosh over Batman's head, honestly made me angry because this seemed like a script that was trying to really hard incorporate Batman from the comics into the cinematic universe. But maybe execution would be different if we actually saw it. I just was curious if anybody else on the Zoom recognized well, that way, whatever. I did think it was weird that we establish, we basically establish Brother Eye and that Batman built it and that it's already been hacked, like all in the same scene. Like it's not, and Batman you know, has no idea. Uh, granted, I don't like Age of Ultron, but at least in that it's like, you know, Stark is like, hey, I'm, I'm building this thing. And then it kind of goes wrong. It would almost have been like, he's like, hey guys, I, I built this Ultron. I'm evil now. Oh crap. I mean, that is basically how it went down in Age of Ultron. It happened very fast. It woke up and looked at the internet for 30 seconds and was just like, oh, this Twitter place sucks. I'm, I'm going to destroy humanity. It's the same thing I feel like every time I look at Twitter, but um but yeah, these scenes of Max in his like Belfry, like I, I feel like we didn't really need any of that cut it all out of the movie <laughs> it would it would have made it or would have hit the editing floor uh but i mean just <laughs> to clark's point uh, the, the whole maybe no we don't want to keep saying the same thing over and over but uh it, each and every scene i just continued to be increasingly baffled that uh this was just how we were starting things off uh, leading like up. In- is, yeah. The world peace, they've solved every problem and like Batman creates the problem. I mean, this is like a storyline they kind of did in the comics a few times where he'd like concocted plans on how to take down all the other heroes and then other people swipe them and, and do his plan. He's like, Oh no, it was my plan. I really <laughs> fucked up. Which is yeah. super happens Batman, to Batman like, constantly. And yeah. I kind of didn't like it any of the times they ever did it because it's kind of stupid. Agreed. It makes but Batman it, look like a moron. But Batman's also kind of a dick. So it's like, it's yeah. it's this like very fine line. I, I don't know. I could go on about this for a while, <laughs> but it's not important. But yes, but to, to everyone's point, like we didn't need those scenes of Maxwell Lord, like stroking his beard, being mustache twirly and being like, I'm watching you. It would have been honestly as an audience, 
it would have been more interesting if we didn't know it was Maxwell Lord, you know? And like, I reckon in my, in like, I, in making that pitch or making that argument, you sacrifice Talia as well as her screen time. But oh, her character, she's her, given us nothing. But that's what I was yeah. about to say is like, even in the Nolan Batmans, I always called Talia switcheroo what's her face because like <laughs> she's, complete nonsense she's complete nonsense even in the chris nolan batmans and then when christian bale is like what you're like you're a fucking idiot and you're supposed to be the world's greatest detective again i'm sorry to get sweaty but like you could have lost all of that this is dumb no, you're right it could have been even like batman realizing like oh sh- something's gone wrong with brother i i mean because brother I could have basically been Ultron or he thinks he's Ultron and then only learns there's like a human pulling the exactly. string later exactly or, or, or even he figures it out rather than the villain coming out of like so you finally figured it out I've been playing you like yes. a puppet all along you know because well, it's one thing to do the Frankenstein like oh no I accidentally created a monster versus like oh no I just have poor like I should have chosen a better password for yeah. brother eyes <laughs> it turns out Thomas and Martha one isn't the greatest password <laughs> why do you say that name but it's capital T and capital <laughs> M <laughs> yeah absolutely all right well let's so now we got this Aquaman scene here oh actually wait oh, sorry before we get to this uh because we keep referencing back to the comics I was curious because I've not really read much Justice League is this storyline in this movie plucked from the comics in any way? Well, just, just like uh, Pat was saying earlier, uh, Mark Wade, I always think it's Morrison who wrote it, but Mark Wade wrote this story in Justice League called The Tower of Babel, which basically somebody dun, 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 takes out all the Justice League using things that are specifically tuned to their powers. And they're all, and, and, uh, and Batman has to reveal to his friends, I, it, it's a big splash page and he goes, they're asking who did this. They're all writhing on the ground with their various maladies. And they go, who, who could do this? And he goes, it was me. I did this to you. <laughs> and, and it's just so hilarious. So it's like mostly that and a little bit of like, as I think Pat was uh, intoning earlier, there is this whole OMAC storyline they do with uh, Maxwell Lord later. That is just that story done over again. Because like okay. Batman can't stop spying. Swiper keeps swiping. <laughs> yeah. Batman but keeps spying. This whole spying. Brother Eye, OMAC, Maxwell Lord stuff, it is from the comics. And this is kind of like a weird version of it. Because okay. like in the comics, they all know Maxwell Lord. He was part of the Justice League for years. He's like their friend betraying them. He's a friend which of Which I me. hated. Because I liked mm-hmm. classic Maxwell Lord where he was just kind of a sleazy guy, but also was kind of good but you couldn't really trust him. He was fun. And more generally, more generally, I will say, this is my biggest complaint with Batman, the character in the comics that I I would argue we haven't really seen in the cinematic universes, any of them, is just his whole deal is no one can ever love me. No one can ever get close to me. Not Dick Grayson, not not Barbara Gordon, Love interests, I'm not even like, put that aside. I'm just talking about the Bat fam. And he he fucks up everybody who is under him because they're like, Bruce, you can try. And he's like, no, I can't. And it's the same with the Justice League. Like he pushes everyone in the Justice League away. And when you get to that reveal later in this script, I'm just like, 
fuck you, Batman. I hate you. Like you make me fucking. What's funny is like in the comics, he has he's basically like adopted ten different orphans yes. and turned them into ninjas. It's and like he's he's like a foster parent to and a they million all kids. Hate him. They all hate him because he is so psychologically abusive. Because he does. It's exactly right, Pat. Like he adopts Dick Grayson. He adopts um uh oh 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 get killed by uh, the Joker with the crowbar. Jason. Uh, Jason, Jason Todd. Yes, Jason, Jason Todd. Todd and Barbara Gordon and so on and so forth like you know and they're all like why won't you love us why can't we be in your life and he's like fuck you i hate you leave me alone he can only express like like, love by saving them from like being baked into a giant cake or whatever of saving them which is batman's in my opinion fatal like worst flaw is like i have to save you but my way (laughs) it's like okay batman okay okay well, like what you're what you're hitting at is also another big big flaw that is played up very well in the comics, but not so well here. Is like my saving you is to make you a weapon in my crusade. You notice how yes. he never he never gives somebody a fifty million dollar check and just hey sail around yes. the world, learn yourself. He goes come over and do push ups in the dark and let's f- punch clowns at night. It's never <laughs> go off and do your own thing. It's always on his agenda. That so is that, the that's best way to say it, Ed. Like it is on Batman's agenda, so he makes everybody that thinks that he loves them into a tool at his disposal. It is really messed up, and it is part of the reason why I can't in the comics I can't get get on board with. Batman. Uh, then in the movies, it's like a lot of the stuff that's in this script we like see in the movies later. I mean, just like you know, humans striking out at supers and like Batman not trusting the other heroes yes. and stuff, and some more specific things we'll point out as we go yeah. along. Well, let's get a things they clearly of, uh, really wanted in a movie, and then when this didn't happen, they're like, let's put this in the next one, you know. <laughs> now let's get a flavor for some Aquaman. <laughs> Here is a scene, uh, Ed and Pat, if you're ready. A scene of Aquaman. Uh, Aquaman's throne room night. Superman stands before the king of the seven seas. You dare to come here and accuse me? No, Aquaman. I came here to... Aquaman's in no mood. Maybe he never is. Don't call me that. Aquaman, the air breather's name. It's demeaning. Juvenile. I mean, Superman, Wonder Woman. Who comes up with these? King Arthur, then. I know how you feel about our planet's land dwellers. Our planet? Our planet? Last I checked, I control three quarters of the Earth's surface. This is my planet. And they treat it like it's a toilet. They aren't perfect, Arthur, yes. Time and again, I have risen to their defense. And this... He flexes his left hand. It's unusual. A prosthetic made completely out of water. This is what I got in return. A permanent reminder of their cruelty. I have given my pound of flesh, Superman. They are your problem, not mine. Respectfully, your highness, this isn't about them. Aquaman stews, tenses, then nods tersely. The Martian. Bring him to me. I'll see what I see. I'm asking you to come up, Arthur. We're asking. (sighs) The princess... Superman nods. Aquaman doesn't like it, but... For her. Okay, what is going on with his Luke Skywalker water hand? That I don't know anything about. <laughs> so, in the comics, they did, like, kind of a grittier reboot of him. I don't even remember what year this was. This was, like, towards the end of when I was buying comics on a weekly basis. But in a fight, he got his hand shoved into a river full of piranhas, and the piranhas <laughs> ate his hand off. 
So then for a while he had like a hook and then like a super hook that he could shoot as a grappling hook and stuff. And then at some point, I guess he got this magic water hand. I was no longer uh, in, I, I had tapped out by that time. I need to read those. And he like had his hair all along and now he was super grumpy, you know? This script definitely like goes out, you know, I will say that the the Jason Momoa version of Aquaman, I actually find endearing. I find interesting. Um, and the idea, like they actually write into the script that he rides the bottlenose dolphins. And I'm yeah. just like, <laughs> in a live action in 2007, how did that make its way into a script? And and look, I, you know, like Hector Navarro and I have this conversation privately all the time as nerds, like about what you're embarrassed by in terms of like your comic book loves. And, you know, we talk about that specifically like with our, with the suits, like personally, I think get rid of Superman's red trunks. Hector's like, keep the trunks, like whatever, not. He needs the trunks, See, Hector and, is right. And I disagree, <laughs> I don't think, and I'm like the biggest Superman fan, you know, and slash apologist. But the bigger point is like, there's some stuff where I'm like, okay, you can make Aquaman still a badass and still, who he is without having him riding the dolphins like the cartoon and going, yay, yeah, you know, like it's so good. Super friend style. It would be yes. really hard for that to like look good. That's in a what movie. I mean. I, I, yeah, I was I was playing this as Momoa, but not as legable because I'm not as legable as him, but that's what I was going oh, for. Oh, come on. <laughs> Well, yeah, um, I think I think the super flying underwater is a lot better touch. Like that, the, the torpedo swimming that he does in the movie is a lot more effective in all the movies, the Cider Ones and Aquaman. That's more, it's more powerful. Like uh, two dolphins can take you what, like fifteen knots with your <laughs> with your ass on their back. You know what I mean? You're, that's not you know that's not exactly blazing underwater speed. You know. And in this script, they like he's basically Prince Namor. In personality more so yeah. than he is even Aquaman. Mm -hmm. Although even after this scene, he basically gives up on his whole thing that he's mad at surface dwellers and he, now he's just kind of hanging out. Mm -hmm. Doesn't get any more arc than that other than like, I don't want to help. Oh wait, Wonder Woman wants me to help? Exactly. All right. Uh, She's a babe and a half. Yeah. Listen, dudes, She's the one person that- uh... how, could, how can dudes resist? She's <laughs> a lady. End She's of- a End of- End of comment, yeah. end of story. <laughs> yeah, she's a lady, end of characteristics. <laughs> Super lady. Whoa, what's her, whoa, what's her whoa. character arc in this movie? Her character she's arc is she's a lady. Yeah. And she speaks in very short sentences, definitively. <laughs> um, so then back in Gotham, we have really the one scene and it's like half a page that felt at all George Millery in this script was when there's a bunch of bikers who are like taking out a cop car in crazy fashion. Um, and then Batman ends up chasing runty biker as they call him into a movie theater. And this is where we introduce Omac alpha. Uh, the name Omac had been mentioned many times earlier. And this visually is in the form of uh just kind of a bunch of metal that ends up surrounding Runty Biker and turning into Omac, which is gleaming metallic blue steel, a single glowing red eye in the center of the forehead. They get in a big fight in the movie theater. Uh, we cut, keep cutting back and forth to Max and Talia, and like Max is kind of like saying stuff to Batman through the Omac. Talia's like, no, don't kill him. And Max like has the Omac let him go. The Omac, like, you know, all the metal disappears back into. 
runty biker. I'd flag this scene to read, but to keep this moving, this scene's kind of boring. I don't know why I did. It's just Aquaman shows up and is like looking at uh, Martian Manhunter and he's kind of like, huh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, a lot of scenes of that. Everyone kind of like, yeah, what the fuck? I don't know. What's going on, you guys? And Flash shows up and yet again is like, oh, wow, Aquaman. He's like, don't call me Aquaman. I'm King Arthur. Um, which, uh, just, just, I'm sorry, just one quick digression. The reason yeah. why you mentioned that Batman scene is A, it's very Millerian, and B, it's the last time in this movie, and I would argue for a lot of movies, that he's actually effective for a second. Like for the rest of this whole movie, he's just like, oh man, my knee's broke. Oh, <laughs> my, my shoulder. Oh, yes. I got Dude, he's just stumbling around being broke off the whole rest of this whole movie. It's it's hilarious how little we've we've gotten to see cumulative of Batman being effective at his job. Well, and the heroes don't really get to do anything. Like Wonder Woman and Flash stop the fire at the airport, and Batman kicks these biker ass, and then and that's it. That's like all the superheroing any of our heroes get to do basically until the end of the movie. <laughs> and once again, it sort of relies on this idea of oh, you know these guys, right? You 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 remember that one time that Batman was like real 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 cool? Okay, great. Well, now he has braces on. Don't you feel sad for him? <laughs> and it's like, okay, like I trust me. Like honestly, I I'm not a purist in the way of like no reintroduce. If I have to watch Spider Man's origin story one more fucking time in my entire life, I will go crazy. Right? I don't need to be reintroduced to these heroes. But you know, if you're gonna show me black suit Superman, then you need to show me why that matters, right? And and it can't just be because I remember, general audiences remember that one time that Superman was inspirational. And similarly here, you have to show me that Batman is a formidable, you know, physical force um, on top of being world's greatest detective so that when he falls, literally and figuratively, when Maxwell Lord is like, ha ha, gotcha. I turned your own thing against you and you're a dick and now your friends hate you. And also you have braces on and you physically can't even move. That has to be powerful. Again, sorry, y'all, I'm getting sweaty, but like, <laughs> I just, I care about these characters, but, and I don't need, feel like we need to retread the same thing over and over again, but also like in cinematic storytelling, you have to build our characters up so you can break them down and, and just being like, oh, you guys get Batman, right? Okay, 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 okay moving on. That Yeah, going but, right to like the league getting defeated yes. is basically how we meet them. That's what but, I mean. But, and it's got, it's got set off payoff itis, which is what I call it when it's not like, okay, the gun that Chekhov introduces in act one goes off in act three. No, the gun that is introduced on page one goes off on page three because we ain't got time to bleed. You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly, yes. And, you know, Moving so it's forward. a drag. Yeah, keep I also up. think it's funny in this one that they keep calling uh, Aquaman King Arthur, which they wisely avoided in the actual Aquaman yeah, movie. Good. His name's Arthur and he's the king, but they never are like, <laughs> King Arthur, because it has Wait, uh, wrong franchise. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> King who uh, is also an Arthur. Continue. <laughs> so after the OMAC fight, Batman goes back. He's trying to search OMAC, but now Brother Eye is like, yo, psych, you don't have access to me anymore. And he can't use any of his technology. And then it kind of turns into like, you know, one of those NASA movies where they're like, we have to dig through all the old junk to figure out how to build a new thing. And he has Alfred going around trying to find, I guess, they're, they're tech old enough that Brother I would not have had any access to it, which I like in theory, but it's a very 
minor point in the movie. We finally get back to John Stewart, Green Lantern, in a complete, really dorky scene that I must admit I liked quite a bit, where he is an architect and he's building a Hal Jordan Memorial Park and he's got his like little Zoolander style model, but he's like using his ring to create like little tiny people to like walk around in the model and kind of test it out. And I'm like, that's fun. I like yeah. that bit. I do love that they use John Stewart, who's the Green Lantern people knew from like the Justice League cartoons in JLU, yeah, instead of Hal Jordan, who's played out. Uh, and Common would, Common would have been good as the character. Yeah. I think it would have cool. been great. Um, we're back at the conservatory. There's a robot mosquito that's <laughs> spying on them and sending footage back to Maxwell Lord. I did not care for Italia. this. Uh, <laughs> then the mosquito stings Aquaman, who freaks out and pulls off his metal hand, and now he's afraid of water. Uh, and then there's like a whole thing where they realize they can use the prosthetic water hand uh, to like encase Martian Manhunter totally in water so he'll stop bursting into flames it's all very that's the weirdest thing about a lot of this it's like it's very over complicated and all this kind of like little tiki very complicated all the ways in which they each individually get attacked are almost increasingly preposterous we'll get to what happens at one point batman's like they're attacking our strengths or something and i'm like well that's not true and martian manhunter's weakness is fire they attacked his weakness (laughs) yeah this thing of making aquaman afraid of water I mean, that's really attacking his weakness as well. But also, I was just like, he's only afraid of water. You could just splash water on him, even though he screams, and that would keep him alive. <laughs> yeah. Come on, guys. Use uh, your head. When we cut back to Green Lantern working on his model, and he's chewing on his the tip of his pencil, which is gross, and I hate when people do that anyway. <laughs> uh, so serve, serves him right. Uh, it turns out the tip of his pencil is poisoned. Oh, no. Uh, the guy, I don't remember how they, it's like he's across the street or something from Wonder Woman's conservatory. Yeah, he's just coincidentally down um, the block. So they bring him over. Uh, he's like, ah, there's noise inside my head, like a scream. Oh, and yeah, John Jones, Martian Manhunter, just like senses him in trouble. That's the other thing. I feel like if you asked an audience member at the end of this movie, like, what are Martian Manhunter's powers? Just like anything. His main power is he can be like, Wait, I sense another scene going on that we got to go partake in. <laughs> they would That's be like what very he's here confused. For. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, Green Lantern is like, uh, what's the catchphrase about his... Uh, oh, yeah, the ring of, of the dead bravery. of bravery. Or he's of, like yeah. the... He does this. This I actually thought was a good bit of writing, like how you get chosen to be a Green Lantern. Strongest will, bravest heart is the way they describe it. And like back in the day when I was a kid, the Green Lantern was the man without fear. And then at some point, like Jeff Johns changed it to like a Green Lantern is one who is capable of overcoming great fear, which in comparison fucking sucks. That's a terrible (laughs) phrase. Just say it out loud. Man without fear, one who is capable of overcoming great fear. Yeah. You know, but, uh, oh, but point strongest being, will, bravest heart is actually pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. So now he's like lost his will and bravery or whatever. So he can't control the ring. And he's like, I'm afraid, which makes someone be like, hey, could the scarecrow be doing this? And I'm like, that's actually a reasonable guess. So the Flash is like, let me go check and runs away to, Arkham, uh, we don't follow him. It's a classic speed joke where he just is gone for two seconds and comes back and he's like, nope, 
Scarecrow and all the Batman's villains are still there in Arkham. They really uh, like really feel like they need to write this whole thing out. Here can we shall we list off all of the villains that you the audience have heard yeah. of? Where's Lex <laughs> Luthor? Where's blah blah blah? Where's Poison Ivy? Where's this per- Where's the Joker? Oh no no no, they're all somewhere else, not in this movie. And I was like um, I don't think we'd all be sitting at home waiting for them to show up. Like, this is a weird scene. <laughs> I mean, the setup I don't of like this it. movie almost implies to me that they're all dead if the world is somehow totally exactly. at peace. I'm just like, where- well, it also feels like these are the only superheroes in the whole world. So I almost feel like all, all these villains shouldn't even exist. You know, it's like a much sparser world of heroes than in the comics where there's a billion heroes and villains everywhere. But also, I just got to say, I think what they're trying to intone is that the world has grown beyond each of these guys and gals having to go out on patrol and eat hoagie sandwiches on belfries at night, like hoping that people don't get mugged or whatever. I think that it's, it's trying to intone that the world itself has evolved past that, but there are greater threats yet that require all these people to get together who haven't previously really gotten together, even though some of them know each other. I mean, trust me, they don't sell it in the screenplay, <laughs> but that's what they're trying. Bad. That's but what they're trying to do. Very forgiving of you. And that feels like this cynical <laughs> kind of like problem. Honestly, like part of the reason why I would argue that D- the DC cinematic universe hasn't worked in the last 15 years is, is because it's this whole, no, no, no guys. Um, we have cool stuff too. That's not the Joker. And um, we're going to, we're going to, show it to you like right now so it's cool like these are our cool villains that are not joker and poison ivy and the ones you know before and i'm like i don't it's just be confident guys like you have some cool stuff like it's project you, confidence exactly stop apologizing stop apologizing for the dc universe because the dc universe is awesome and like i don't know i just i just kind of am like this this is this projects weakness and I don't like it. It's not. I mean, it is true that like they it's kind of like they want to introduce like this is the whole DC universe from the comics. We're just seeing a story from it. But then they don't quite commit to that because this is the first time that they've ever had a hero team up. You yes, know, it's sort of like, is this the beginning of the universe or are we just dropping into the universe for their greatest adventure? Well, and to cut but they're, the, they're not sure to cut the Mulroney's some slack here. Since as we said, we really don't know when this draft falls. It's almost 130 pages. There might've been a draft that was like 200 pages that had a lot more setup and executives were just like, yo, you got to chop all this out. And they might even pointed out like, well, then we're really just dropping the audience right into it. Um, but and respectfully, know. I don't actually, Honestly, I don't fault the writers for for this script because this script reads to me as studio script. This script reads to me as this is a $200 million movie. There are a lot of people involved. And actually, to your point earlier, Josh, like it does read as though people who know the comics wrote this. And so to me, I'm like, they're doing a... To me, they're doing a very good job with what I imagine are studio mandates. That's that's all I'm trying to say. That's well, and probably a lot of different notes from different higher ups that that's are contradictory. I mean. That's yeah, how that's, things go on these really of movies. Really right. And, and that's what I was talking about earlier when like just I mean, you guys have done it. I know you guys have done it in your writing, uh, Josh and Pat, just like this whole thing of like, damn, how can we get to it's a seahorse, dude. There's a seahorse in the jar. That's why they got to go talk to Aquaman and you guys are running around the offense high-fiving each other for executing this horrific note. Yes. We you know I mean? did it. We're going to pause the conversation right there and pick things up in our next episodes. We want to thank our guests, Clark Wolf, Ed Greer, and Pat Casey. 
You should follow us on Twitter at Never Made Film and Instagram at Best Movies Never Made, where we post script pages, concept art, all sorts of fun stuff. Also recommend that you guys check out the Electric Now app. It's a free app where you can watch movies and TV shows also for free and video of our podcasts and all the Electric Surge podcasts like the 430 Movie and Inglorious Trexperts. I want to thank everyone in our network, especially Bill Ritter and our producers, Mark A. Altman and Dean Devlin. Until next time, this is Josh Miller and Steve Scarlatta saying we won't see you at the movies. This is a production of the Electric Surge Network.